Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. All right, who's excited to be in the house this morning? Look at you. You look good. Those Thanksgiving calories don't even look like they counted. Like, I couldn't even tell that you had three or four plates right now. You just look so slim and so nice. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Devin, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the house. And uh, before I even get into our message today, I do want to give honor where honor is due. Come on, don't you love our pastors, Stephen and Katie Sexton? Come on, put your hands together for them. And if you haven't gotten the honor to meet them, let me just speak on their behalf. They're so glad you're here today. They love you, and they're excited about what God uh, wants to do in your life. And I've had the pleasure of being on the team pretty much since uh, we planted the house uh, seven and a half years ago. And um, just the heart behind what we're doing hasn't changed. We're never in meetings talking about how we can get a bigger and bigger church. We're in meetings talking about how we can love people better, serve people better, lead people better. And so um, they love you, and uh, they are for you. They actually got a little stomach bug, you know what I'm saying, a little Thanksgiving stomach bug, so you could be praying for them to, to feel better and recover. I think they're on the men's, but just um, that they will fully recover. And so today, uh, we are starting a brand new series. We, are, we have wrapped up the generosity plan, okay, so I won't be preaching to you about money today, okay, so <laughs> we could be excited about that. Um, but I am going to start a new series called Glory Days, and, and here's what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks, Okay. We're going to be talking about how your best days, when you partner with God, your best days are not behind you, they're ahead of you. And uh, we, we all know people who love to talk about the glory days, okay? They love to talk about high school, they love to talk about college, but the problem is, like, I'm pushing 30, okay? So, so if we get together and we're talking about high school, brother, that was, you know what I'm saying, 10 years ago, okay? So, so there has to be some things where we don't think that everything, every good thing in our life is in our past, And we have to believe, God, you've done some good things in our past, but you want to do even more in our future. And so this next two weeks, we're going to talk about how God wants to move us from glory to glory. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and this is kind of our our key verse for the next couple of weeks. It says this, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So God wants to move you from good thing to good thing. He wants to move you from living a life full of sin to living a life led by the Spirit of God. He wants to move you from having selfish desires and only thinking about me, 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 me. And he wants to, over time, over seasons, begin to transform you into his image, into his likeness. Now, this doesn't happen in a day. (laughs) This doesn't happen in a week or even months. This is a process that over the span of your life, you can begin to look back and go, okay, I remember when God moved me from this thought process to that thought process, when he moved me from this place to that place. It's not God's desire for you to live from bad relationship to bad relationship. No, he wants you to live from glory to glory. It's not his desire for, for, for you to live one late bill paid to another late bill paid. No, no, no. God wants you to live from glory to glory. He doesn't want you to live from failure to failure. He wants you to live from glory to glory. And so as we start this series today, my assignment is unstuck. So go ahead, do me a favor, look at your neighbor and tell them, don't stay stuck. Okay, okay, we a little, we a little flat today, and I get it, you know what I'm saying? You had Thanksgiving, maybe you hosted your family, you just tired, but you did sleep in. <laughs> I mean, you did come to second service. And so <laughs> maybe may, 
Maybe you didn't like that neighbor. Maybe that was it. So why don't you look at your other neighbor and tell them with a little bit more enthusiasm, don't stay stuck. There we go. We're good. This past fall was my my 10-year high school reunion. I know I don't look a day over 23, and you're like, there's no way you graduated 10 years ago. But back, way back in 2013, you know what I'm saying, I graduated high school. I know. I know. And uh, so, so our class president was beginning to plan the reunion, and she did what any, like, adult does when they want to talk to a bunch of people but not really have, like, one-on-one conversations. She made a Facebook group, and she added all 200 of us into this Facebook group. And I had to silence it. I had to go ahead and put them on mute. Because before long, all the pictures were being posted of throwbacks, and I'm going through, and I'm, like, untagging myself. I'm like, I do not need to be reminded of what I looked like when I was 16 years old, please. And people were talking about the dances and the proms and all the moments and the homecoming game. And, and, and really quickly, you saw the people who were, like, they loved high school. Like, high school was an amazing time for them. Everybody was, like, they're friends with everybody. They're commenting under everyone's posts. They're like, oh, I remember that. And then you got the people who are like, I went to high school because it was illegal for me to not go to high school, and I did not want my mom to go to prison, okay? The people who, like, it seems like they kind of had their best moments, like they kind of peaked a little bit in high school, and they were every day, it's like, oh, you remember this, you remember? And there's the people who are like, I don't even recognize you because there's been some changes that have happened since you graduated. You, you actually didn't stop growing when we graduated high school, but, but over the last 10 years, you've started to, to make some changes in your life, and you're at a whole different place than where you are at. So I was, I was excited to go back and see everybody, you know what I'm saying, and, and connect with people who I hadn't connect with, connected with in a long time, and so we were headed down, but actually, uh, our son Judah was supposed to be born like five and a half weeks uh, later, but he decided to be born on the day that we were heading down to Louisiana, so we were like two hours away and I uh, got the call saying, hey, he's about to, you know what I'm saying, he's about to come, so y'all need to come back. And so we turned around, and I didn't get to, to go. But he's on the front row, come on, so it was worth missing it. It was, it was worth it. Um, but since it's been 10 years, I started to think about, okay, I started to think about the people who maybe they had their best moments. And they look back, and they, and they celebrate those moments, but maybe they stay on those moments a little too long. And I started to look back over my life and go, God, where were the moments that were highlights in my life. And I think this is a good thing that, that you should do at some point if you've never done this, but look back over the last five years. Look back over the last 10 years and go, okay, God, what are the moments where you really showed up in my life and what moments are highlights? So I, I just did the last 10 years because I thought if we did 28, I don't have that much time, you know what I'm saying? So, so we're just going to do the last 10 years. A couple of moments, there were highlights for me. In 2013, it was a great year. Uh, I got saved. I graduated high school. I went on my first mission trip with Be The One, and I felt the calling of God on my life to step into ministry. That's a great year. Uh, 2015, I left college. I know what you're thinking. How is that a good year? You know what I'm saying? You left college, but it was a good year for me. (laughs) I moved from Louisiana to Arkansas to become a part of the Be The One team and the house launch team. So that's a a good year. 2017, this one one of my favorites because I proposed to Sydney, and she said yes. Okay, come on. We got married that same year because I'm not about to have no long engagement, so we were like a few months later. We got married, and then at the end of 2017, we found out that we were pregnant with Malachi. So we just did it all in one year, okay? I do not counsel people to do that in marriage counseling, but that's just what, what I did, okay? Um, in 2018, Malachi was born. In 2019, we built a new house, and by build a new house, I meant we paid somebody uh, to build a new house because I don't even know how to use a hammer for real. Um, and then 
then in 2023, we opened as a foster home. Uh, I got ordained as a pastor here at the house, and we adopted our son Judah. So 2023 has been a good year. And so these are great years, and you should, you should commemorate great years. You should celebrate great years. But the tension that we have to face is that we don't fall into the place where we think all of our good years are behind us. And I want to encourage us through this series that your best years are not behind you. They're in front of you. Right now, it's great that I'm like, 2023 was the best year of my life. But if we circle around, and I'm 65 years old, still talking about how 2023 was the best year of my life, you would think, wow, that was 40 years of God didn't do anything in 40 years? But we can all fall into the trap, and it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are or how long you've been around, we can all fall into this idea that our best years are behind us. And God does not mind you remembering the years that he's done something in your life, but he doesn't want you to remain there. He, 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 he doesn't want you to be the 50-year-old still wearing your Letterman jacket from high school. Now, if that's what you do, listen, I don't know you like that. I'm not coming for you. Okay, nobody told me your business. But if you're, your, best year, you, your best years can't be behind you because God says, I'm, I'm doing something else. I'm doing something new. I'm doing more. I'm not, I'm not done. I have done some things, but I'm not done with you, and there's more that I have for you. And so the, there's two verses we can really uh, look at really quickly. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Isaiah 46, verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. So God doesn't want you to forget what he's done. But when I read this, these next verses, I get, a little, I get a little perplexed. I get a little confused. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 through 19 says this, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now hold on, Isaiah. <laughs> me and you have a problem now. <laughs> because here you are telling me don't remember anything. Don't consider anything that is in the past. But then three chapters later, you're going to tell me, remember the things. Isaiah is not changing his mind, and God didn't give Isaiah two different instructions. Isaiah, I think verse 19 really points out to us what God's heart is. And he says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God wants you to honor what he's done. He just doesn't want you to think that he's finished because there's new things that he wants to do. And year 50 can be the best year for you. Year 56 can be the best for you. Year 70 can be the best year for you. As long as you have breath, there's a purpose on your life. And so the year that's in front of you can be the best year of your life. And so let's not fall into the lie that everything that's good is behind us. God wants to do something new. He wants you to move from glory to glory. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to refuse to be stuck. In other words, we're going to have to choose to live unstuck. Your glory days are not in the past. So listen, I've heard amazing things about the 80s. I was not there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I've heard the music was better, you know what I'm saying? There was no, like, cell phones. So everybody was, like, connecting and stuff. I've heard the 80s were great, but those can't be your glory days. Your glory days have to be in front of you. I know when your kids were little and they would just run up into your lab and say, Dad, Dad, Mama, and they were so, they were so cute, and now... They're teenagers, and they drive, and they don't really need you for much except for, like, money and stuff. But your glory days as a parent can't be how your kids used to be. It has to be the season that your kids are in right now. 
I know when you started your job, it was great, and you liked all your coworkers, but all the ones you liked have quit. <laughs> and you liked your boss, but he, he got a promotion and is doing something else. But your glory days at your job can't be when you first started unless you want to always make what you made when you first started. But you want a promotion, so you're gonna have to, your glory days are going to have to be in front of you. So we can't say stuck. And today, I want to look at a passage of a man who was stuck, but he had an encounter with Jesus. And I love that Jesus doesn't leave us where we're at, but he's constantly moving us from glory to glory. John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 2, and we're going to read the whole story, but we're going to break it up into chunks. But John chapter 5, verse 2, says this. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So today, I want to talk to us about four thoughts around being unstuck. And here's the first thought that we can pull from this passage, and it is this. Stuck people always surround themselves with other stuck people. Stuck people always are surrounded by other people who are stuck. Now, I'm going to draw a line here and say, obviously, all of these people are sick. In other words, they have a very real issue. They're blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed. Like, they have some real issues. So I would categorize them as all sick. But just because you are sick doesn't mean that you have to be stuck. Sick is something that may, maybe life just, it just happened to you. We're in the season right now, the sniffles and the colds and everything because the season is changing. And so there's, there's nothing really you can do to not Especially if you have toddlers, it's just like they just everywhere. So it's, it's, there's nothing you can do to avoid it. But once you are sick, it is a choice you make whether or not I'm going to be stuck or I'm not going to be stuck. Am I going to deal with this issue for the rest of my life or is this an issue that I'm going to overcome? Am I going to have moments where I have anxious thoughts or am I going to decide I'm going to be stuck and I'm going to be an anxious person? There's a difference. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus encounters people who are sick and people who are stuck. This man is stuck. But Jesus encounters a woman who has an issue of blood in a crowd. And she is sick, but she has decided, I'm not going to stay stuck. I'm going to fight through the crowd. I'm going to fight through my issue. I'm going to go. Jesus is on his way to do something completely else. This is not even what he's focused on. And I'm going to touch the hem of his robe. Because if I get a moment with Jesus, it can change anything in my life. So I'm not stuck. I might have an issue but that's not going to be my issue this time next year. I, I might be struggling right now, but it's not going to be my same struggle five years from now. What about the man who was paralyzed? Who, he couldn't move, but they, they found out Jesus was preaching and the house was packed and he had four friends like rip up part of the roof and lower him in so that he could be healed. And I could just tell you right now, if that roof parts right in the middle of this sermon, church is over. Band's going to come up, play a song. I'm going to pray. We're going to be done. Like, but he was willing to interrupt some, something because he said, you know what, I may be sick right now, but I'm not going to stay stuck. The man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. And you're not even supposed to work on the Sabbath, but he decides, I'm going to get to Jesus. Jesus heals his hand because the man has decided, you know what, I may be sick right now, but I'm not going to stay stuck. So, so being stuck has nothing to do with your physical condition. It's all about your mental and your spiritual condition. It's a decision that you make on whether or not you're going to be stuck. And here's what we love to do, though. Let me just talk about me, okay? I love nothing more than when I'm stuck to be around people who understand me and get me. And what I really mean by that is I want to be around other people who are stuck in the same way that I'm stuck so that neither one of us have to put expectations on each other to change. 
I know, I know, I know. It's just me. I'm not talking about you, though. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about me, okay? And so I notice this, though, that people who have made their mind up to be stuck don't want to be around people who are constantly moving from glory to glory because that put expectation on us that we don't necessarily want. So men who have already made it up in their mind to leave their family, leave their wife, leave their kids, they're not like, I want to run to all the people, all the men who don't agree with me. No, they would rather be around men who get them. Okay? People who are like, I mean, I know I'm not a great parent, but these are my kids. I'm going to do whatever I want to, and, and I may be hurting a relationship with them, but it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it my way. They, they aren't running all the time to parents who want to do it a healthy way and who will challenge them and who will ask them, hey, how are you getting better in this area? Because I'm a youth pastor, I hang out with a lot of teenagers, okay? And I've noticed that when teenagers have an issue, and I love y'all, not y'all. Not any of y'all on the front row, y'all are amazing, okay? I'm talking about other kids at other youth groups that don't go to here. You don't even know them, okay? Okay. So I love y'all. Y'all are great. Um, but they're, they're struggling with depression or, or their identity. And instead of them being around kids who are full of joy and who know their identity comes from the Lord, they'd rather go to the lunch table and sit with all the rest of the kids who have the same exact issues and are struggling with the same exact thing. And I'm not saying that you can't be around people who are struggling, but what I'm saying is saying, what I am saying is that you need some people who maybe they don't get you. Maybe you don't need one more person that understands you. Maybe you need somebody who's going to challenge you. And I remember being so frustrated when I started being around Pastor Stephen for the first time, because it was like all of my excuses, he just didn't understand. He would be like, I need you to do that. And I would say, I can't do that. And he would say, why? And I would offer up my excuse. And he would say, that doesn't matter to me. And I would go, all right, I guess it don't matter. So we're going. Like, but you don't need one more person that understands you and will sit at the bar with you and drink to whenever with you. You, you need somebody who will say, hey, man, I understand all that and marriage is hard, but you made a covenant. So you're you about to go back home to your wife. And you're going to make it right. That, you don't need one more person that says, girl, I get it. These kids are crazy. So if you just need to, you know what I'm saying, do whatever you got to do. If you need to cuss them out, just cuss them out. That's what I would do. You don't, you don't need one more person that gets you. You need a person in your life who will challenge you and say, you know what? This may be your issue right now, but it's not going to be your issue in a year because I'm going to be invested in your life. So what do you do when you find yourself surrounded by stuck people? I'm going to just give you some help. This is some super spiritual advice, okay? So just get ready. Get your notebook out. It's right now. After church, you're going to go into the lobby, and you're going to meet some new people. The next semester that life groups start, you're going to jump into a life group with people that you do not know. But that's just very uncomfortable. I know. (laughs) Because there's a certain level of expectation that's going to be in the room, and you need to be around some people who aren't stuck. Not people who are perfect, but people who are saying, you know what, I'm moving from glory to glory, from glory to glory. I'm going to get better in my parenting every year. I'm going to get better in my finances every year. I'm going to get better as a husband every year. I'm not going to be in the place that I was last year because what God wants to do is not behind me. It's in front of me. And so after church, you're not just going to run and go to Popeye's and get you a sandwich and eat lunch. You're going to hang out in the lobby, and you're going to meet some people that you've never met before who will challenge you to do something that you've never done before. Is this good? Is this helpful? Okay, awesome. It helped five people. I'm so glad. Okay. John chapter 5, verse 6. 
as we continue to read this, says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, I am not a rocket scientist, okay? But if I have been laying in the same place for 38 years with the same issue and I have not gotten a healing. And what we learn about this pool, what's, what's so awesome about this pool is that an angel comes down and stirs up the water and the first person that gets in it is the person who gets healed. And so I've watched person after person get healed for 38 years. And Jesus <laughs> comes up to me and says, do you want to get well? I used to read this and think, man, Jesus is a little sarcastic. So am I. So, I mean, I don't have to change that about myself because Jesus but, but the But the more seasons of my life I found myself stuck and the more people I encounter that have been stuck in a situation for a long time, I believe that this is a legitimate question from Jesus because he knows that after you've been stuck a while, in order for me to heal you, there's going to be some things in your life that have to change. And you're going to have to be okay with the change that's coming. Because here's what, here's what being paralyzed, blind, lame, and invalid meant during this time. Um, you didn't have to go to work. You could beg for money and food. And there was little to no expectation on your life to do anything. And so while this doesn't sound fun and it doesn't sound like something that somebody would want to do after 38 years of being in the same position, maybe year one, year two, you had hope that you would get into the pool and get healed. But after 38 years, you start to think, well, this is just my life. This is how I'm going to be. And this, is, this, this ain't too bad. Actually, people bring me money. I don't really have to do anything. I haven't showered in 30 years. Like, this is great. I don't have to do. Actually, there is no expectation on me to be anything with my life. And so our second point is this, to become unstuck. It will cost you your comfort. If you want to be unstuck, it's going to cost you the thing that you are comfortable with. And I can hear you now, but Devin, who would want to stay depressed? Who would want to stay angry, resentful, anxious, addicted, hopeless? And here's what I would say. Maybe nobody would would pick that when you say it. But once you've been stuck in it, come on, you start to like how it feels. It starts to be comfortable for you. You wake up every day and you put on the same thing because, because it's comfortable. And so maybe you didn't start off thinking, man, I'm going to be hopeless and I'm going to like that. But after years and years of you being stuck in this situation, you start to think, man, this, this isn't too bad. And here's what happens. People begin to give you pity. Who begin to say, oh, you know what? He tried. I'm going to give him a little money. I'm going to give him a little food because, because she, she, she really tried. Like they, they, they really tried their best. The, the problem is you can either pick to have pity or you can pick to have power over your situation, but you don't get to have both. And pity feels good right now, but in the long term, you can't step into your purpose if you are looking for pity from other people. And so I'm working, I'm working with my, uh, with my five-year-old right now, okay? He's on the front row. He's not listening to me. It's great. Okay. But we're working on him that you don't get to whine your way out of responsibility, Okay, so I don't, I don't use those words with him because he don't know what responsibility is. But if we say, clean up your toys, that's not a debate. I need somebody to help me. Brother, I didn't help you throw these toys all these different directions. Okay? So you, got, you can either pick them up or I'm going to use my power to take them all away. So, so which one do you want to do? And we can look at a five-year-old and go, well, he needs to, he needs to learn that. And I would say... There are adults. <laughs> there are seasons in my own life where I would rather somebody show me pity than to actually ask me, do, 
Do you really want to get better? Like, do you want to have a better relationship with your kids? Because if you do, there's some things that you're comfortable with that you're going to have to change. Like, you, they're grown now, so you probably won't be able to talk to them like they are 10 anymore. Do, do you really want to, like, love your job and thrive in your job? Because there's this thing you're going to have to do, and I know it's like a cuss word these days, but it's like you're going to have to work hard. You have to show up on time. You're going to actually, like, act like you want to be there <laughs> and not act like this is the worst place you go every day. Do, do you want to do well in your finances? Like you want to have extra and be able to be generous? Because you may, you may have to pass up Seven Brew a couple times and, and not buy it and say, you know what, I'm going to not spend that $5 on a mocha, frappe, latte, honey, brevet. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that $5 in my savings account. Okay? So, so, so if you want to be unstuck, it's going to cost you your comfort because you can have comfort and you can have calling, but you do not get both. You don't get to be comfortable and also do what God has called you to do with your life. So at the end of your life, when you look back, you'll either see, man, I had some great years of comfort where I chose the easy thing or I answered the call of God on my life. And now my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids are going to serve the Lord because I chose to answer the call rather than pick my own comfort. Is this good? Awesome. John chapter 5, verse 7. We're going to continue to read. To read. And uh, this is the man's response to Jesus. So here Jesus is. Hey, man, you, you want to get better? And I would think this is a yes or no question, okay? I'm not a conversationalist, but I know a yes or no question when I see one. This is either yes, Jesus, I would like to get better. Boom, you healed, you are better. Or no, I kind of like where I'm at right now, so leave me be. And Jesus can say, Okay, bye. <laughs> but he starts to give this response. Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Okay, so instead of offering answers, stuck people offer excuses and explanations instead of answers. He does not say yes. He does not say no. Well, <laughs> every time... I go to get in the water. Somebody gets in before me. I didn't ask you what other people are doing. I didn't ask you if you tried before. I asked you, do you want to be healed? Or do you want to stay stuck? And so I'm a youth pastor. So from time to time, and, and let me just give you some thoughts on, like, our youth ministry. We don't see youth group as, like, Wednesday night teenager babysitting so you can go have a good time away from your kids, okay? I hope that you have a good time. I hope that y'all go hang out, jump into a life group, whatever. But in our youth ministry, we are not babysitting Christian teenagers or making a good kid club. What we are doing is we are raising up the next generation of ministers, and so the next worship leaders are going to come from our youth group. The next staff members at this church are going to come from our youth group. The next leaders in our society are not going to come from culture, but they are going to come from our youth ministry. So we, as soon as they start coming for a little while, your kid cannot come to our youth group and just like hang out for a long time. After about a month of me seeing them consistently, I'm like, hey, bro, what kind of giftings you got? What you, what you good at? What you like to do? And then before you know it, they're in framework. They go through framework just like you go through framework if you want to be on a serve team. And then they jump on a team. And just like you get texts and messages from your team leader, like they get a, they'll get a text from us saying, hey, you're supposed to serve. And every now and then, 
not often in our youth group, but I heard from other youth pastors, this happens in their youth group, um, uh, we'll send a text, but I, but I won't get a response. And so I'm, I'm chill, but I'm not a passive person any longer, okay? I'm, I'm recovering from my passivity. So I'm like, okay, you're going to ghost me? That's what's up. That's what's up. Okay, you, gonna, you ain't going to text the brother back? All right. So then I see them on Wednesday night, and they act like nothing has happened. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, what's, what's up? You, you got me blocked, and you ain't text me back? What's up? They're like, oh, no, I don't, I don't have my phone. I'm like, huh, you lose it? You break it? Like, nah, man, my mom took it. Oh. She was just like. She's just clearing house, like, y'all need to save money. She took your phone back, like, what? what's going on? Nah, 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 man. Some, some stuff happened at school. Oh, what? What happened at school? <laughs> and, you know, like, teacher overreacting. I, I realized something. Teachers always overreact. They never react like in a normal. <laughs> they always overreact. That's, we ought to do something about that. But I'm like, okay, but, like, re- overreacted about what? Oh, no, man, some of my grades were just like, you know, she didn't grade all the papers and she didn't, you know, she didn't turn all my stuff in. She wouldn't let me turn in nothing late. No, say, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, what, like, what is happening? Okay, I'm failing algebra. Okay, thank you. We finally got there 27 questions later. I found out that you lost your phone because you're failing algebra. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to school. We're going to sit in the front. <laughs> we're going to pay attention in algebra because I know you and I know that you're smart enough to pass algebra. So you're just playing. You don't care, whatever. But for you to lead in God's house but then go to school and be like the worst student, that's, that's, that's not going to work for us. So I, so I hear all the excuses, but I have to let you know that at the end of all of that, just like Pastor Stephen told me, he don't care about none of that. I, actually. I actually don't care because I think you can at least get a C in algebra. And so we get, because you have teenagers or you've been a teenager, you can go, yes, that's right, get them, Pastor Deb. But I, I hear adults do the same thing. I, well, I would be a better parent, but you know what? I didn't grow up with good parents, and so I'm doing better than what my dad did. At least I ain't smack you in your face. You better get out of my face before I, you know what I'm saying? I could revert to my old ways. You better move around. If, 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 if I had the upbringing like little Susie down the street, she's great with kids. Of course she's great with kids because her mom was great with kids and her grandma was great with kids. And my mom didn't even really want me that much. So, of course, I'm not as good with kids as they are. Well, I would be better with money, but they came for money. And so, of course, they're good with money. And of course, they have money. And of course, they do it better. But, but I didn't grow up with any money. I didn't grow up seeing anything. So, of course, I'm not good with it. And I'm not going to be. Okay. You, you can have your excuses and your explanations. But some people are standing in front of Jesus and saying, God, you are the answer. It's funny as this man starts to give all these explanations, but he doesn't realize that Jesus is the one who can bring healing to his life. And if you're not careful, you can come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday night and every life group and everything. And you can think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the room, but you bring your excuses with you. And so instead of this becoming a place of healing, it just comes a place, becomes a place of whining and groaning and complaining and excuse making. And Jesus is looking for, do you want to be healed? Or do you not want to be healed? He's not looking for your excuses. And listen, some of them are totally valid. I'm not here to discount your past or the things that have happened to you. In fact, I have my own excuses that I've had to overcome in my life year after year, season after season. So I'm not one to belittle anything that you've been through. I'm just here to tell you we can't allow our explanations and our excuses to move us to a place to where we can't even see the answers standing right in front of us. A few excuses I've had to overcome. Well, I really want to get married, but I never saw a healthy marriage growing up, so I'm afraid that I might get a divorce. I want to have kids, but I don't have a relationship with my father, so what if I ruin my kids? 
I don't think I'll ever be able to save money because I grew up living paycheck to paycheck. I want to be in ministry, but I literally don't know where to start or what to do. I want to have friends, but I'm afraid to be rejected. These are all, I didn't mean to get too real on y'all. Some of y'all are like, man, I ain't know who's getting this real up in church today. Uh, but these are legitimate excuses. And if I told this to anybody in the world who didn't know any better, they would go, oh, you're right. Don't get married. You might mess it up. Don't worry, don't worry about raising world changers. You might mess them up. Don't worry about saving money. You might lose it all. But it's when you begin to step into the things of God on your life that you start to see, yeah, yeah, there's some things that are legitimate in my past, but I am moving forward because God doesn't want me to be stuck. God wants me to live unstuck so that I can move from glory to glory. And I begin to see God as the one who has all the answers. And it's not my effort and it's not everything that I know how to do. And it's not my dad or my mom's responsibility. No, but the power is in me and the power of God lives in me. And that's the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And so if he can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can help you manage your finances. He can help you become a better parent. He can help you step into the things of God on your life. So when we find ourselves stuck in in making more excuses than progress, we have to turn and look to God for the answer. John chapter five, verse eight. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walk. This is an amazing moment. This is the, like, the climax of the story. This is the, this is the moment that we're praying happens in people's lives each week on Sundays that they would come in one way and they would have a moment with Jesus and it would change everything in their life. God and his great love for us does not leave us stuck. But in one moment he can say, hey, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Come on, in this room that's full of, there could be hope, there can be healing, there can be restoration, there can be salvation, there can be joy, there can be peace. And miracles can happen when Jesus walks into the room. And so the fourth thing that we need to know, and if you didn't hear anything else today, is this. To remain unstuck, you have to move. And I know this is like rocket science level stuff, okay? But in order for you to not be in one place, you have to constantly decide, I am going to move to another place. So Jesus tells this man three things that I find interesting, and we're going to talk about them real quick. Jesus tells the man, first, to get up, second, to pick up his mat, and third, to walk. First, get up. In other words, I love you. I can bring healing to your life, but I'm not doing it for you. And you're going to have to trust me and get up, even though you haven't gotten up in 38 years. Even though you forgot what this felt like, even though you haven't stood up in a long time, I need you to trust me that when I say something, it doesn't return to me void. And most of us think that faith is the opposite of being afraid, but really faith is the opposite of being sure. Because it doesn't really take you faith if you know 100% how it's going to turn out. It, It doesn't take you faith if you know how the next six months of your life is going to look if you make this decision. But it does take you faith when you've been stuck in something for a long time. And you say, you know what? I don't even know if this is going to work, but I trust the word of God. So I'm going to get up off of the ground and I'm going to push myself up anyway. And I'm just going to allow God to do the rest. That's the faith that God looks at and says, I, I can do something with that because they put their full trust, not in what they know, but in what I've said. Second, he tells them to pick up your map. Now, if I'm this guy, I'm like, I've had this mat for 38 years. I can imagine this mat smells very good. (laughs) 
Like, I don't want to carry this mat. How about you take the mat as, as like a token of my gratitude? Here, you have the mat. But Jesus says, no, pick up your mat. Take your mat with you. Because here's the thing about a mat. It would have signaled to everybody around if you had a mat that you were a beggar, that you had an issue of some sort, that, that you, there was no expectation on you, that you were either lame, blind, paralyzed, like, like that you were used to relying on other people for your food, for your money, for whatever. And so as he would have carried this mat, I can imagine somebody who was five years old the first time they walked by this man and he was laying by the pool, paralyzed. And now they're 43 years old and they see him walk by holding his mat and they go, hold on, what happened? Because I remember being in kindergarten and you were laying down. And all throughout high school, you were laying down. And then when I was in college, you were laying down. And then I started a family and all this and you still were laying down. And now you're walking. What has happened to you, And that would be his moment to tell everyone around him about what God had done in his life. So your mat is your testimony. And so here's what we do in church sometimes. And it's, it's super funny because we know that coming into church, we know that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You got that, you got that verse memorized, okay? But what happens is we come to church for a little while. We get all cleaned up and all nice. And then we start walking around. I'm blessed and highly favored. You go to your life groups and you... I don't have any issues. I'll pray for you guys, though. It's great. We, we start acting like there has never been any issues in our life. There's never been anything that we've had to face. There's never been any adversity in our life. And you think that you're doing the people around you a service by doing that, but really you're doing them a disservice because there are people in this room right now who are hurting and who are broken and who are going through something that you overcame, but you refuse to say anything about it, so they stay stuck. So you're not doing us a service by pretending like, like your marriage has always been perfect and you've never argued with your spouse and your kids are amazing citizens all the time, 100% of the time. You're, you're actually not helping anybody by doing that because you don't give anyone something to look up to that's attainable and reachable. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying every time you go to your life group and every time you come to church to start telling everybody every issue you have, okay? Because that would be weird. Let's not do that. But also, let's not act like we're perfect and that we've never been through anything because then we miss opportunities to tell people our testimony of how God has moved us from glory to glory, from glory to glory. And so if, you're gonna ha if you are going to live the life that God has called you to, you're going to have to have a story of how God showed up in your life and healed you when you thought there was no other way. In the midst of your excuses, in the midst of your complaints, in the midst of you being stuck, you're going to have to say, you know what? I don't know how I did it, but God did it in my life. And if he can do it for somebody like me, then he can do it for somebody like you. Is that good? The third thing he tells the man is walk. Can you imagine? Okay, I got up, I got my mat, and I have not taken a step for 38 years. And he's going to, I'm sure he's full of anticipation. Maybe he's worried that he's going to fall in front of everybody. But the excitement of I'm about to do something that I thought I would never do again in my life. I'm about to take a step in a direction that I didn't even think was possible. And that first step, I bet everybody around was like, let's go. This is awesome. Cheer yeah. Like when a baby takes their first step, it's always so cute. You get the, you get the camera phone out. And you're like, oh my goodness, come here. Yeah. But when you're 17, nobody's like, <laughs> your mom isn't in the room when you wake up like, come on, baby, take a step. And Jesus doesn't command the man to take a couple steps. He doesn't say, hey, just walk for today. He just tells him, get up and go. In other words, 
This is not the only step you're going to have to take. This is just the first one. But for the rest of your life, you are going to be taking step after step after step. And if we're not careful, we'll become addicted to people's applauses. And so we'll step as long as people are clapping. Yay! Good job, baby! You want the framework? Yay! But then, when, when no one claps, you take a step and you look. Oh, this isn't exciting anymore? Okay, I'll just, I'll just stay. Where I'm at. I'll, I'll, I'll stay in this season because I, I really need somebody's applause to encourage me to step into the next thing. But God is always asking us to take steps. He's always asking us to move. All throughout the Bible, he's asking people to move. He's never like, hey, you right there, I want to use you. Just stay right where you're at. Don't move ever. No, no. He finds Abraham and he says, hey, I need you to actually get up, pack everything you have, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Not that I've already shown you. You don't know. We don't got a GPS, but you just need to follow me, and I need you to move from here to there. He asked Moses, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. Well, I don't even know how I'm going to do that. I can't even talk. I'm not talking about what you can do. I'm talking about what I can do. I just need you to move. He asked Esther to move from the comfort of the palace to the uncertainty of asking the king to spare God's people. Well, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I interrupt the king. I'm not, I'm not asking you to be concerned about what's going to happen to you. I'm asking you to be obedient and to move from here to there. He called Elijah to move from the plow and the oxen to follow the prophet Elijah. And I like Elijah because he just burnt everything. He was like, okay, I ain't coming back. God told me to move. I'm moving. And so he moved from here to there. He's, he finds Peter. Jesus finds Peter and he's a fisherman. He says, hey, I know that you fish for a living right now, but I need you to leave that occupation and I need you to follow me because I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men. He finds Paul and Paul is persecuting the church. He's harming people for what they believe. And he asked him, hey, I need you to stop persecuting me and start proclaiming me as the only way to salvation to my people. And I love that God asked us to move, but he doesn't ask us to move first. Jesus came to the man first. God comes to us first. He's not a God who says, you know what, I'm going to sit on the throne in heaven and I'm just going to look down and I'm just going to tell people what to do. No, he says, you know what, I'll, I'll get off of my throne. I'll put on the flesh of a man. I'll come to earth, I'll be mocked, I'll be ridiculed, I'll be disrespected, I'll go out and I'll proclaim the good news and all I'll get back is people who don't like me, who don't want me around, and ultimately, I will die on a cross for your sins so that you can come to me and you don't have to be stuck in your sin. So God, God gets the right to ask us to move because he's willing to move to us first. So as we close today, I just have a question for us and that is, where have I allowed myself to stay stuck? What cycles have I chosen? I told you earlier that we were headed down to my um, high school graduation and Judah decided, you know what? I'm going to be born five and a half weeks early. Okay, he just showed up. And um, so because he was premature, they had to put him in the NICU, okay? And so we were there for three and a half weeks. And every day it was like, well, maybe tomorrow. But what was happening was he would eat and then he would start to have Brady's, which is just where his heart rate would drop. And babies are supposed to be like in 140 something and his would drop down to like 60 or 50. And so they're like, we, there's really nothing you can do other than just wait until he matures. But, but I'm full of faith, okay? So at first I'm like, get the anointing oil. We about to pray, about to lay hands. It's gonna be awesome. Y'all are saying one thing, but I know what the word of God says. And so this ain't gonna be, we ain't gonna be here no time. Tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, I'm gonna be in my, mom car <laughs> driving home but day after day it was the same response and so three and a half weeks isn't long unless you feel stuck and you you felt stuck before 
and after you overcome, you look back, you're like, ah, oh, that wasn't that wasn't as long as it felt. It felt like forever, but it but it wasn't forever. But in the moment, I'm like, I don't God, I feel lonely. I feel helpless. Like I don't I'm not a doctor. There's nothing I can do. I'm basically just watching him not develop. And I started to there was a day where Sydney took our other kids home and I went up to feed him and hang out with them. And I was just like, I was in the room and I was just like, God, I'm, brother, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And we prayed for years to have a kid. And now we finally have one and I can't even take him home. Like what's up? And, and God started to remind me, if you choose to be stuck, that's a choice you've made, but it's not my character to leave people where they're at. It's my character to move you from glory to glory. And he started to remind me of all the times where I felt stuck in my life. And he started, did I help you in that moment? Yes. Did I help you in that moment? Yes. Did you overcome that? Yes. So then the NICU is just a moment in your life, but it's not forever. And you're not alone. I haven't left you or forsaken you. And so I'm not up here today as somebody who's never been stuck. I'm here to tell you I've been stuck so many times, but in each season, God has come through. So I know it's hard for you. I know it's hard to overcome an addiction, but you're not by yourself. You don't, you don't have to do. Now, there's some partnering that has to happen. So God can't do it for you, but he's not going to make you do it alone. And the great thing about having a relationship with Jesus is not that you won't have another season where you don't feel stuck, but it's that when you do feel stuck, you remember I'm not by myself and there's somebody coming and I don't have the answer, but I know who has the answer. And so when I pray to him and I call out to him, he's faithful not to just leave me crying and, and calling out, but he's faithful to meet me right where I'm at. And even if he doesn't change my physical condition, he can minister to my spirit and I can put on the mind of Christ and my outlook on life can begin to change. But it's a choice. It's a choice that everybody is going to have to make. And God loves you so much that he doesn't make you choose him. He doesn't make you choose healing. He asks you, do you want to be well? You want to stay around stuck people? You want to, you want to stay comfortable? Or do you want to move from one season of fruitfulness to the next season of fruitfulness because over your life and every season I've shown up and I've done something in your life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the contact us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.